0: Grab your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Are you guys familiar with this phrase, that's a good problem to have? Typically we use that phrase whenever we face a challenge, but when that challenge is ultimately the result of something good. For example, my new role as your campus pastor is kind of stretching me a little bit. I'm trying to learn a lot of new names. Thank you for your patience with that. I'm also trying to learn how to preach a sermon every Sunday. Again, thank you for your patience with that. And so some days when I get home, man, like my brain feels kind of fried. But that's a good problem to have because ultimately I love doing this. I love our church. I love getting to minister in Olathe. Another example of a good problem to have is right here in our own building. Some of you may not know this, but down the hall in our fellowship hall, we actually have an overflow space because so many people have come back to church at our campus since the pandemic. We've had so many guests and newcomers. And that's a good problem to have. And Typically, those are the kind of situations where we use that phrase when a business or a church or an organization is growing and we have to get creative and problem-solve. But it's a good problem to have. This morning, we're going to see in our text that the early church faced that same kind of problem. After Jesus had commissioned the disciples to be his witness to reach the world, well, that's what they did. They received the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. Peter Peter preached the first Christian sermon, and 3,000 people got saved in one day. The Bible says from that point on, they added new people every day. And as they grew, they faced some big challenges. Where were they going to meet? Who is going to be the leaders of this church? How are they going to function in a hostile culture? And in Acts chapter 6, we get to kind of look in on one of those good problems they dealt with, and we're going to see how they solved it. And then what we're going to do is take some applications from that to answer this question. Why campuses? That's the title of our message today, Why Campuses? The reason we're talking about this is because we're about to start our Multiply campaign. What is the Multiply Campaign? That's, that's a good question. The Multiply Campaign is our fundraising effort to support the Multiply 2028 vision. Well, what is the Multiply 2028 vision? Man, I'm, I'm so glad you asked. You guys got good questions today. The Multiply 2028 vision is to become a multiplying church that is establishing campuses locally and planning autonomous churches locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally by 2028. So the Multiply campaign is how we're going to financially fund that vision. And since that campaign starts next Sunday, we need to make sure we're tracking with what is the purpose of this vision. And that's why we kicked off this series last week with the question, Why Multiply? We looked at Acts chapter 1, where Jesus commissioned the disciples, and we said that that is the same mission we have today. Every church and every believer is called to make disciples and reach the world. And the Multiply 2028 vision is, is how we're going to do that. So today we're going to focus specifically on just that campus part. You heard me say, we want to establish campuses locally. Why? Why are we a multi-site church, and why would we want to start more when we have two great ones right here? Well, that's what I want to show you, but first what we got to do is we got to journey back 2,000 years to the very first church. So look with me at Acts chapter 6, and let's just take this piece by piece. Here's Acts 6, verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Right off the bat, we see this good problem. The disciples were increasing in number. The church was growing. But when the church first started, they didn't have buildings like we do today. Sometimes they met in the temple as a large group. And then other times they needed somewhere separate and distinct to meet. So they met in people's homes as small groups like house churches. That means the first church was really kind of a multi-site church like us. But not only was the church growing in size, they were actually growing in diversity. If we think back to Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached in Jerusalem, he wasn't just preaching to Jews from Jerusalem, but because there was a festival taking place, he was preaching to Jews from all over. So the early church was diverse, it was multi-ethnic, and it broke down really into two distinct categories. There were the Jewish Christians from Palestine who spoke primarily Aramaic and closely followed the Jewish customs. They were called Hebrews. And then there were the Jewish Christians from outside of Palestine who spoke primarily Greek and were influenced by that Greek culture. They were called Hellenist. And these cultural differences caused some conflict in the early church. The Hebrew Christians were uncomfortable with the fact that the Hellenist Christians didn't keep the Jewish rules as closely as they did. And the Hellenist Christians were uncomfortable that the Hebrew Christians didn't, did follow all the Jewish rules as closely as they did. Add to that the fact that they spoke different languages, and here we have another good problem, a diverse, growing church. Verse 1 tells us that because of the growth and diversity, the, the Hellenist widows were being overlooked unintentionally in the daily distribution. We know from day one that the church has always made a great effort to care for the vulnerable among them. The church has always had that priority of caring for the poor. And in a patriarchal culture, widows were some of the most vulnerable in society. You see, women did not typically work outside the home. They relied on the support of their husbands. So if your husband passed away, you became reliant on outside help. And these Hellenist widows, they would have been especially needy because these were women who had moved to Jerusalem to be a part of the church, had most likely left family behind. And so these women were, were falling through the cracks of the system that the church had to daily distribute food. You got it? You're tracking with me so far? That, that's the good problem. And here's how they solved that problem. Look at verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So even though the church was spread into dozens of different house churches, they still shared this central leadership in the 12 disciples. So they bring everybody together. It's kind of like the very first business meeting, right? And they state the problem. It's not that serving food was beneath the disciples, but they understood they had this clear calling from Jesus to preach the word and to pray. And they couldn't add anything else onto their load. So the disciples did what good leaders do, and they delegated. They charged the church to select seven men who were faithful and trustworthy, and the church did that. And it's interesting that each of these men has a Greek name. And let me give you a little tip. Whenever you're reading names from the Bible, no one knows how to pronounce them, okay? Did anybody catch how bad my... Yeah, nobody knows if you're right or wrong, so you just wing it, okay? That's what I do. But they had Greek names. And what that meant is that they wanted men who were Hellenists, men who belonged to that group. So they dealt with this diversity issue by having a diversity of leadership. Now, if you've been in church for a long time, you know that these men are considered to be the first models of what we call today deacons. And that word deacon is, is actually not in the text, but the language here tells us that they're fulfilling the function of what Paul would later identify as a deacon. Deacons are called to serve the church, particularly when it comes to the widows and vulnerable among us. And we are blessed to have amazing deacons here at the Ridgeview campus who fulfill that role. And this in Acts 6 is the beginning of that. And here's the result. Here's what happened after they solved the problem. Here's how it turned out, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Here's what happened. They grew. They continued to grow. They found a way to solve their problem and minister more effectively to a diverse community of people. Mission accomplished, right? But what in the world does this have to do with campuses? Well, the point of being a multi-site church with multiple campuses is being able to minister more effectively to a diverse community of people like the early church did. You know, we, we often speak of Johnson County as like this one whole entity, but you and I both know that our county is made up of several different smaller cultures. I've never lived in a city as big as this. Some of you are thinking this isn't that big. But I've never lived in a big metro area until I moved here. And, and so I remember uh, when Pastor Derek... I actually let him drive my car. Looking back, that's kind of scary. But he drove my wife and I around the county, and um, we would cross a certain intersection. He would tell us, okay, now we're, we're technically in Olathe. we go a little far and say, all right, this is Lenexa. And now we're, we're headed back to Overland Park. And, oh, yeah, and there's Leewood. I was thoroughly confused and still am to this day. That's why I just use Google Maps. But one thing I noticed is that each little community has a lot in common but also has its own distinct flavor. We live in a diverse community, and the leadership of Blue Valley Baptist wisely saw this diversity as a good challenge to have. So now I want you to journey back with me to September 28, 2008. Do you remember where you were? I was one month into my senior year of high school. I know, I'm sorry. And I had never been to Kansas before. I did not know what a Blue Valley was. But I have been told that on that fateful night, our church was presented with a multi-million dollar expansion plan that would greatly increase our square footage of what is now called the Antioch campus. That was going to be the first stage of this multi-phase plan to build a mega campus for what they believed was becoming a mega church. But get this, you may remember the next day, the stock market fell 777 points. And the Great Recession of 2008 and 2009 was underway. That forced our church, and really all churches, to revisit these long-held notions of what we think we need to grow a church. Churches everywhere suddenly had buildings that they couldn't pay for. And it hasn't gotten any better in the last 20 years. Church construction has declined over 60%. Data tells us that millennials, that's my generation, actually kind of have an aversion to large facilities because they crave this greater intimacy. They they want to know the people they go to church with. So this caused the American church to, to revisit and rethink how we want to grow churches going forward. Suddenly bigger wasn't better. So when faced with continued growth, with the knowledge that large campuses were becoming a liability, the staff of Blue Valley began to explore the idea of multiple campuses instead of one big one. Fast forward with me now to August 25th, 2013. Pastor Derek presented the church with the idea of becoming a multi-campus church. Our leadership at the time saw this diversity in our congregation. From what I'm told, about 50% of Blue Valley at the time lived in Olathe. So they began exploring a campus here. And unbeknownst to them, at the same time, Fellowship Baptist Church, which many of you were a part of, began exploring partnering with another church as well. So one thing led to another, which led to another, and boom. In February 2015, the Ridgeview campus was born. And look at us now. We're all grown up. It's beautiful. But Blue Valley Baptists discovered some important truths about using multiple campuses to reach a diverse community. And these are the same truths we see in Acts 6. So let me share with you really quick just three of those truths as we answer the question, why campuses? Here's the first. Campuses leverage the strengths of common leadership. The Jerusalem church had common leadership in the 12 apostles. It wasn't just one guy assigned to this house and that house. It wasn't one guy over the whole city. It was a plurality of leaders, which is a fancy way of saying that they were led by multiple pastors instead of one head honcho. And this is the healthy biblical model we see for the local church. God designed the local church not to be led by one man who carries the whole load on his back, but he designed churches to be led by multiple men who carry that load together. And because the Jerusalem church had this style of leadership, they were able to deal with this problem we saw globally. A problem with the Hellenist group wasn't just a Hellenist problem. They realized they were better together, so they brought everyone together. And this is true for Blue Valley Baptists as well. Antioch's problem is Ridgeview's problem as well. When Ridgeview has a challenge, Antioch has a challenge as well. This is why we have a common group of elders leading our church. And our church's leadership structure is one of the big reasons I believed God was calling me to Blue Valley two and a half years ago. You see, in my ministry... I had witnessed some really poor leadership. So I studied the Word of God. And I became convinced that the healthiest model for a church is to be led by a plurality of elders. And then I came here and I met our church's elders. Man, I I was blown away by how godly these guys are. Man, how much they care for this church. Our group of elders, seriously, they're some of the best guys on the planet. And that includes two of our lay elders right here who conveniently are both called Jeff. So when I want to talk to both of them, Jeff, isn't that awesome? Jeff and Jeff, Jeff squared. We're going to come up with a cool nickname for them. But that's who we have. And I I remember last month I I went to my first elders meeting. I was kind of nervous because, I don't know, it just felt important. and I was a new guy. And I'm telling you, these guys, they know what they're doing. Like they don't just sit around and kind of casually make decisions. Oh, this sounds good. No, they seek the Lord. They're looking over our finances. They're caring for people who are hurting. They're talking about the needs of our building. They're thinking about our mission strategy. And look, I know I'm a little biased because I'm a part of the group now, but we are really blessed to have the men leading our church who do. Having common leadership is a real strength, especially as we're going to open more campuses in the future. What a blessing that's going to be to have a group of men who have already laid a solid foundation. So the campus model allows us to utilize common leadership. The early church did that, and we will too. Here's the second reason we have campuses. Campuses leverage the strengths of common resources. When I worked at a grocery store in high school, occasionally the price of eggs would drop significantly. And you could get a carton of eggs for like 50 cents or something crazy. And I'm telling you, people would go wild. It was like Black Friday for eggs. I don't know what was going on. And, and we would run out. I mean, people would get mad at you if you didn't have the right eggs. And we would run out of eggs. And our particular grocery store, we had multiple locations across Middle Tennessee, okay? We were a big deal, all right? But we were also super, super cheap. <laughs> so when we ran out, seriously, our manager would get in his pickup truck, drive to the next store, throw eggs in the back of the truck, and bring them back. Now, I'm sure Walmart has a better system for that, but that's, that's what we did. And, and my point is, being a part of a collection of stores like that had advantages. We could share resources, and, and we did, from shopping carts to eggs to employees. And the same thing is true for multi-site churches. We have the ability to share resources across campuses, and I, I see a lot of that now that I've been at both places our worship ministry routinely sent, shares people across campuses from singers to drummers to tech guys. Shout out to Antioch's Brad back there. He's doing great. <laughs> we sometimes even pass equipment. We haul tables and different things around. We, we also share staff. A, a church of our size here at the Ridgeview campus would not have near the amount of staff people we have if we were not multi-site. But because we are, we have things like a full-time marketing director and Jill Hogan. Mary Bradford manages our website, not to mention Susan House, Terry Goad, and our very own, I won't forget you, Deborah, Deborah Oldham. So hopefully she's watching this. I'll get some points. But we also have Jeff and Andrea who care for our buildings. We have a finance offer with Pastor Dave and Melissa who are some of the most diligent money managers you've ever seen, which means we also share finances. When you give to our offering, you don't just give to the Ridgeview campus, but you give to Blue Valley. Your money becomes part of a $3 million plus budget that supports several ministries and projects locally and around the world. The truth is, we could not have near the missional impact we do if we were stand-alone churches. But because we're multi-site campuses, our finances go further and do more. Sharing resources has always been a part of the church In Acts 2, when the very first church was formed, one of the things we see is they sold all their stuff and began to share it amongst each other. That's from Acts 2.45, which is where we get something Blue Valley does. I've never heard of a church doing this, but we have an Acts 2.45 fund that actually supports members of this church who get in financial difficulty. Did you know over the last 12 years, we've given out almost half a million dollars to members of Blue Valley? It's amazing. And we see that again in the Bible as Paul encourages the Gentile churches to support the Jerusalem church in need. This is the pattern. And this even goes on today on a worldwide scale. Did you know that Southern Baptists have the greatest missionary force in the world? And and I'm not just saying that because I am one. But the SBC fully supports right now over 3,000 missionaries all over the globe. Since 2011, we have planted over 7,000 churches just in North America and do you know how this happens? It happens through a program called the Cooperative Program, which was started in 1925, and, and the premise is really simple. They said, "Hey, we got the same mission, we have the same goals, and we can do more together, so why don't we pull our resources and reach the world with the gospel?" So that means when you give to Blue Valley, some of what you give goes to that cooperative program where 40,000 churches all work together for the kingdom. And this is the strength of working together, which leads us to the last reason we have campuses, the most important. Number three, campuses leverage the strengths of a common mission. Blue Valley Baptist does not exist to just play church. We aren't here to just build fancy buildings and have exciting ministries and make people feel good and we aren't doing all this just to have a really big budget and pat ourselves on the back. And we have a vision that we believe God has called us to, and that is to become a multiplying church, meaning to make disciples that make disciples, that start campuses and churches, that start campuses and churches. We want to impact Olathe and Johnson County and Kansas and the Midwest and the U.S. and to the ends of the earth. I mean, we want to get to heaven. We want to have our own little section of people we've reached who can trace their spiritual spiritual lineage to Blue Valley Baptist Church. And look, I can't lie. This is a massive vision. This is big. It's much bigger than me or you or any of us. It's a God-sized kind of vision. It's not a play it safe vision. It's a dangerous, risky kind of vision. It's a you're crazy, you can't do that kind of vision. It's in Ephesians 3.20 far more abundantly than all that we ask or think kind of vision we wouldn't have it any other way. I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back and think, I should have done more. I don't want to settle for things that I can just do in my own strength and power. I want to attempt some things that are so big that only God can do it in his strength and power. And this is the vision that God has given our church And not only are we attempting this vision with the help of God, but we have the help of Antioch campus and other campuses that come in the future. We aren't paying off the church debt and supporting dozens of ministries on our own. We have another 700 or so people with us. And we aren't seeking to plant churches and start campuses alone. We we have another powerhouse of godly people about seven miles east. We are better and stronger. Together we can do more together. And that's why... We're a multi-site church because as campuses, we leverage the strengths of common leadership, common resources, and a common mission so that we can reach a diverse community with the gospel. So what's next? I mean, When is this going to happen? What's the plan? Well, the first way is something I'm really excited about, especially for our Ridgeview campus. We're going to be establishing what we're going to call the Blue Valley Hispanic Mission. Uh, The elders are currently finalizing plans that's going to leverage basically three things. Number one, our existing partnership and ministry at Rolling Ridge. Some lay leaders in our church who have a gift and calling for working in Hispanic ministry. And a partnership with the North American Mission Board Hispanic Church Planner. So if these plans are continue to be approved by the elders and keep moving in this direction, we're going to receive funding from the North American Mission Board and plans to launch the Hispanic mission will happen sometime in 2021. Oversight of that mission will be our elders. So there's common leadership. It will be supported by Multiply 2028 funds. There's common resources. And with that support, that mission will be to reach the growing Hispanic community in Olathe. That's the common mission. Man, this is, this is going to be so exciting this next year. And that's just the beginning. See, we are believing God for more opportunities like that. Other language campuses and other campuses all over Johnson County. All for the purpose of reaching a diverse community for Jesus Christ. That's why campuses. But it all starts next week. With the first opportunity to give to the Multiplied Vision. If we don't give, like none of this happens. This is just talk. and Guys, it's going to take all of us to make something like this happen. This isn't just an Antioch thing. This isn't just a Ridgeview thing. This is all of us. We're all going to have to sacrifice. We're all going to have to give generously to see this vision get off the ground. So I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you this week to spend some time praying and asking the Lord, God, how much would you have me give to the Multiply campaign? He may not give you a specific number. He might. But that's not necessarily the point. What you can pray for is wisdom, a generous heart, and the ability to give beyond what's comfortable. Remember our sacrifice habit? I will offer my life to God and people beyond what's comfortable. Beyond what's comfortable. Not what makes us feel good beyond that. And I know it's going to look differently for each of us. Maybe for some of you that's one big gift. Maybe for some of you it's giving a little bit each week on top of your normal offer. Whatever you can do. Whatever you can do. Whatever you have or don't have. It doesn't matter. All of us can do our part. That starts next week. So here's the question I'll leave you with and we'll be done. How will you help us accomplish the vision through your giving? What is God calling you to give? Because this is what we have to do together. Let's, Let's bow our heads. I want us to spend just a moment praying now for that campaign that starts next week. I want to invite you to pray on your own, silently where you are. First thing, I want you to pray for God to provide us with exactly what he needs through this campaign. Next, I want you to pray that we would be faithful to use the funds that we receive to reach the world for Christ. Next, I want you to pray that every person who calls Blue Valley their church family, that God would clearly Show them what and how to give. And lastly, I want you to now ask God to show you how you're going to support this campaign. Father, this is a big vision. This is much bigger than anything we're capable of in our own strength and power. This is a vision, honestly, from man's perspective seems impossible. But, God, we know you delight in doing impossible things because you are a God who has authority over every square inch of this world. You are a God who literally owns everything, and you can give us exactly what we need. So, God, we ask boldly that you would use us to play a part in this campaign, that you would bring each person to give the exact amount they need, that you would provide every last cent, for us to make the impact you're calling us to do in this world. God, help us to reject the materialism that comes from our culture, the obsession with things and stuff and money, and to to live sacrificially and generously. God, I pray that you would show each and every person in this room what their role is, that they would have a burden for the mission. That they would have an excitement for the expansion of your kingdom. That they would see how you're calling them to be a part of it too. God, help us to do it in Jesus' name. Amen.